One, two, three. This is Three Song Stories Biography Through Music. Our podcast uses music to bring out our guests' stories and personalities. We leverage the power music has to connect us to our memories to bring out the storyteller in us all. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for listening. My guest this episode is kind of a big deal in the world of public media. As a matter of fact, he's making us feel like we're getting pretty fancy around here at Three Song Stories. David Broncaccio is the host of the Marketplace Morning Report, heard on most public radio stations, including on WGCU at 6.50 and 8.50 in the morning. Hey there, David Broncaccio. Hey, Mike. Good to meet you in a radio studio here. Good to meet you in a radio studio face-to-face. Um, thank you for doing this. We really appreciate it. Um, so what kind of music was around you as a child? I remember my first record – I was handed as a three-year-old Dave Brubeck's Take Five, this legendary jazz album. That was around me. My dad listened to opera on Sundays. It seems like to this day when I hear opera, it must be Sunday. Um, But my dad uh, is a college professor and even though he wasn't especially into music, if you're on a campus, you get hip to some of the cutting-edge things. So somehow my dad, English professor, came into – an electronic music album in, let's say, 1968 or hmm. so. And it was super out there. Remember, by then I'm eight years old. Yeah, and yeah. It blew my mind. I mean, this is uh, synthesizers starting to happen and this really weird stuff. So, third grade, show and tell. I bring in this record. I may remember the name of the record in just a minute, but uh, it has something to do with. The Electric Storm or something like that. So I bring it in. This is really cool stuff. I'm third grade. <laughs> and the teacher of my, – my teacher, her name really was Mrs. Record. That was her name. <laughs> so we play this blow your mind weirdness. I mean were you, you – Unlike the little school, little little turntable. Yeah, the little the turntable there, you know, a little brown leather exterior of that, of that uh, record player. And the class is silent. No one knows what to make of it. I'm kind of like thinking it's cool. The teacher says to me, I remember it to this day, well, I'm from Maine, so she had a Maine accent. Well, doesn't seem like it takes much effort. <laughs> and I'm like, even as a third grader, I'm like, what do you mean doesn't take much effort? <laughs> it's like, I bet it's really hard. You try to, to wire up a synthesizer and to make these sounds. So I was influenced by a lot of that stuff, but ultimately um, I've been influenced the most by the fact that I have a secret life as a Disc jockey. You know, uh, uh, two mornings ago on Marketplace Morning Report, you actually riffed on that briefly. And uh, what was it? The band The The? Is that a true story? Yeah. Uh, by the way, the context of why we were talking was kind of interesting. We had an intellectual property expert uh-huh. from NYU on who has proven that it's true. We are running out of good band names. He extrapolated it further. We're running out of good trademarks. And I asked him to explain, what do you mean good trademark? Most of the words in the English language have been registered as trademarks. And so that was what, what the wider story was. But I mentioned the fact that it occurred to me that we were running out of good band names when um, uh, I was playing the post-punk band, the English band, The The. And I'm like, I think I can do better than that. So where and when was that that you were DJing? I've DJed. I haven't DJed recently, but um, 
the 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 reference is K Fog in San Francisco, the okay. home of quality rock and roll. K Fog one hundred four point five, legendary uh, album rock station in San Francisco. And during the weekends, uh, during the day, I was Johnny Olson, mild mannered reporter on KQED San Francisco, the public station. That's my was my real identity. But I was Metro Dave, Metro Dave on, on, on uh, K Fog. But I started out as a disc jockey. Uh, that's how I got interested in radio. Do you remember the first song that that moved you some way? I mean, I, you know, it may be that that rock song that you referred to, but is there a song uh, that you remember from your early part of your life that really, you know, touched you, made you um, feel some sort of sense of emotion that you couldn't quite reconcile the night you were listening to a song? All right, I'm gonna make a big admission in about 15 seconds, um, uh, and I'll start out by um, answering the way that the that my public self should answer it, which is give you a hard edge song that really was cool. And that song is Alice Cooper's School's Out because we were uh, in our backyard in Waterville, Maine, me and my best friend Jeff. And he was a little cooler than me and he knew popular music more than I did when I was like 10. And, or 11. And we got a radio out there in the backyard and I said, how do you figure out how to, what music to get? And he said, you listen to the radio. I said, how do you listen to the radio? <laughs> so he turned on like a science experiment, WSKW in Skowhegan, Maine, and out comes Alice Cooper's School's Out. School's Out for Summer. That's the cool story. The real story about what really touched me is a super nerdy album. Um, we, lo- I, we love the super nerdy. Yeah, on, on yeah. This like podcast. so, me and everyone else secretly <laughs> loves that Carol King album, Tapestry. Listen to it over and over in my adolescence when I was getting into behind high closed doors. Never admitting it to people, right? <laughs> I love that. I actually went to see the Carol King musical in New York City the other day. It's actually at a theater that's near the Marketplace Bureau, and I was I went by myself. No one would go with me, and I secretly was was really digging the music again. Um, you know, it it tapped into my adolescent self when you're really confused about who you are and what you want and what relationships are all about. It's pretty emo in in parts of it, and. Um, one of the ways I've made peace with the notion that my rock and roll self also liked Carol King's Tapestry is I saw this great statistic, Mike. Changed my life. Um, when audience sampling got better, when digital techniques allowed us to know more about what people listen to, right. as opposed to what they say they listen to, right. turns out men in their pickup trucks going to their burly manly jobs are listening to light rock a lot <laughs> that we're not telling anybody this right. but that there's this other side of many men in which we sort of dig in the more sensitive stuff and I think we should therefore embrace it, own it and be proud of it. Did you ever uh, get to meet Carol King in your career as a journalist? Weirdly, one step removed. I was about to say no, but when I was on the Now show on PBS on Friday nights, um, she was involved in a very important environmental story, Carol King herself. And I anchored a piece that had her as an interviewee in it. I didn't get to meet her properly, but hmm. we um, we took on an environmental issue, possibly in Montana. It's been a number of years that was near and dear to Carol King's heart. Apparently, she has a connection out there now. So not properly, but um, you know. 
The day is young. Maybe we'll get to meet her by this afternoon. All right. Well, uh, what are we going to hear here for your first story or your first song rather? All right. So my very first station, radio station, was when I was 13 years old. Um, there was a kid from my high school, Chuck, who had a DJ show on the local college station even though we were just in high school. They couldn't get any Colby College students to do 6 a.m. on Saturday morning because everybody was hungover. So the high school kid came in. He spun some top 40 tunes. He didn't read copy very well. He was a great disc jockey. So I came in and read his news. So that was my first station. The second station, the first one I was ever paid <laughs> to be an on-air person, was the local commercial station in my hometown, WTVL, AM and FM, Waterville. And they were middle of the road. Quite a bit of Frank Sinatra in there. But when they were playing Top 40, it was a shortened part of the Top 40 playlist. It was the pretty middle of the road stuff. Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. Um, Starland vocal band. The bite-sized stuff, like stuff. Yeah. So, you know, there I was and I'm chafing at this limited playlist. Now, first of all, I'm still very appreciative that they hired a 15-year-old to be on the air. Back then, you needed a license mm-hmm. from the Federal Communications Commission. Mm-hmm. You had to take a test. And that station, if you took the test, got the license, did not drink excessively and showed up to work on time, you'd probably get a job. So they gave me the job on the weekends. But uh, the playlist, oh my god. So um, I started – smuggling in my music Mm -hmm. and got away with it for a while. And one of the songs that I got away with in this very um, carefully programmed middle-of-the-road station adjacent to Frank Sinatra, I got some funk in there. I once got some funkadelic in there, One Nation Under a Groove, and also from 1978, the Parliament song, Flashlight. All right, we're going to hear that now. It's David Brancaccio's first song on this episode of Three Song Stories. So do you remember what was going through your head as a 15-year-old when you dropped the needle on that record for the first time? <laughs> I hope they don't find me out since I smuggled <laughs> it into the, to the radio station. Uh, you know what goes through my head is the fact that when you drop into a fade, as we heard at the end of that song, I get anxious because if you ever run a radio show – uh, you know that you have to have you have to be queued up for the next thing when mm-hmm. the fade is happening. Mm-hmm. And with old records, you would uh, drop the needle into the groove. The turntable would not be turning yet. You would move the uh, platter of the record back and forth so the needle was right up against the first sound on the song. Then you would move it back a few inches so that when you hit hit power, when you powered up the turntable, so it would start spinning. It wouldn't go. It would be already running at speed. And if all that stuff isn't thought through a little before that fade, you're going to be in trouble. I still have nightmares or dreams about a, getting that wrong. Like, like you tense up when you hear a fade? Yeah. But it, 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 to really get at your question, a song like that in Kennebec County, Maine in 1978 was probably me uh, yeah, yearning for you – know, there's a wider world out there. There's uh, some cool stuff happening in cities. There's cool stuff happening – I had spent a lot of time growing up in places like Europe and 
actually Africa. But I hadn't traveled in the United States. By 1978, when I'm listening to this song, which is about this whole you know, culture that's, that's maybe a world away, I hadn't been south of New Jersey and uh-huh. I had not been west of probably uh, – Gee whiz. Uh, I hadn't been west. I went up to Canada once and went to like Ottawa, but I hadn't been west anywhere. <laughs> right. Certainly hadn't been to Florida yet. Um, that wouldn't happen until 81. I came to Florida for the first time. But um, it was my sense that I was ready. I'm 18 years old in 1978 uh, for a, a wider world. By the way, uh, I did get in trouble for smuggling in that. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, that, that, that couldn't have gone unnoticed, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even that station that didn't have many listeners, even the boss occasionally would listen. Um, and, uh, you know, I had got Le Freak uh, by Chic in there. I had gotten um, probably uh, Funkadelic in there. So finally, a nasty memo came out. And he, he was good enough not to actually yell at me personally, but it was this memo that said, um, one must only uh, play songs from the approved playlist uh, in bin number C over the turntables. Outside music will not be tolerated. And so uh, was that the end of your rogue? That was it. Yeah. So I, I, I obviously I had gone rogue, and I was I was no longer rogue on that station. It wasn't the station to go rogue on. Uh, wasn't that kind of station? So so does you know Parliament and that kind of funk music uh, exist on your playlist today? I mean, do you do you yeah. listen to music? Um, you know, how much do you listen to music through I, pod, you know, through the ways we listen to music these days? I listen a lot. I don't subscribe to the music services. I enjoy picking out internet radio stations from around the world. Hmm. Uh, I've got it rigged up so my car does that too. Right. So I don't, obviously, I, I'm not just saying this. I listen to a lot of public radio. I listen to a lot of the BBC World Service. But at some point in my day, since I am the news in the morning, uh, in a sense, I'm living the news. We're producing it and, 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 and delving as, we, as best we can, I've had enough. And uh, one of the world's most eclectic radio stations is France Inter Paris, FIP, FIP in Paris. And they'll run classical up against jazz, up against rock and roll, up against weird French accordion mm. music. Mm. But it's smart and they've been doing it since the late 70s. I listen to FIP. I listen to stations all over the US. I have um, – if I want to listen to Top 40, there's a really good one in um, Cairo in English called Nile FM, of course. Wow. And there's a decent one um, in West Africa, um, Adom, A-D-O-M, I think from Ghana where I uh, actually used to live there. And uh, so I do listen to a lot. I, I enjoy funk a lot. Um, uh, Bernie Worrell was in, I think, Funkadelic, if I have the story right, and he's in the Talking Heads. And Talking Heads is one of my favorite bands. Um, but um, what you need to know, Mike, though, is I don't know if you've ever been up to Maine. It's a beautiful place. I miss it when I'm been not near there. Maine. Near I Maine? I made it all the way to well, Maine. Come on up. I'll tell you where to go sometimes. However, the radio stations, their playlists, even the rock and roll stations, kind of white when I was growing up. Not diverse. Yeah. A lot of Bob Seger. You know, a lot of great music. But the only way on way before any internet was envisioned um, that I could hear – songs for a, more, a wider set of traditions is by listening to American Top 40 with Casey Kasem <laughs> because that was a national yeah. s- sample. And so when um, funk got into the playlist because lots of people in cities were buying it, it would force it up the Top 40. And so since he's playing the entire Top 40, I would hear it. And I was like, this is cool. Where can I get more of this? 
And I know it'll seem bizarre to people. I mean, you could go to a record store and say, "Could you order me some Funkadelic?" And they'd say, "What album?" And you'd say, "I don't know." Yeah. I used to start at the station. Used to take a uh, had a subscription to Billboard magazine, mm-hmm. the music, and they had all the charts in it. And I would use that to order some of the music. But um, yeah, no. But I'm. I don't know. I, I listen to many different genres of music. I do like electronica. I do love ambient music mm-hmm. because I can't hear lyrics very well. I don't remember them. My wife, Mary Brancaccio, is a uh, teacher and a poet. She can only hear lyrics. That's and she can't work when songs with – Lyrics are played because she immediately because engages. Like Jack Spratt and his wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> I don't really hear the lyrics. I hear the vibe. And so electronica works for me. But I, you know, super into rock and roll. Um, Do you have a favorite band? I mean, is it possible to say yes? This uh, is my favorite band. It is. Some people can. Some people can't. I can't really. Uh, it's you know, I mean, Kendrick Lamar now, um, Radiohead then, um, but. Uh, you know, I mentioned the Talking Heads. It's just a long, a, a long, long list. But um, yeah, I was bringing a little bit of the wider world to the Central Maine listeners. I'm not sure it was fully appreciated by anybody but me, but there it was. So before we get to your next song, what was the fourth song on your list that you had to kill? Did you were you easily able to come up with three, or was there like a you know a tie and one of them had to go? Oh goodness gracious! No, there was just so many. What would I originally have? I had. Um, the following statement will seem outlandish if not untrue. Um, I s- grew up in part in Madagascar. It's a country. It's they, the, they, the, they, don't they have penguins I understand? They, they, no, they got lemurs oh. and they got lemurs. <laughs> and it's you know Madagascar more than just a Disney cartoon. I'm actually still cross with Disney for appropriating it. Uh, Madagascar is the third largest island. How old were you when you were there? It was my ninth grade. Wow. Um, and without much – preamble at the end of my eighth grade when I was trying to – thinking about going to the eighth grade prom, my father announced to the assembled family that, oh, we're moving to Madagascar in a couple of weeks and you're not going to the high school you're expecting. This is what we're doing. So I rolled around the floor crying, uh, weeping and uh, turned out to be one of the most important experiences in my life because we got there. There wasn't really a good school for me. There was school in French. I spoke some French but I didn't want to lose a a school year to just learning the language. Sure. There was an American school at the southern tip of Madagascar run by Lutheran missionaries from Minnesota, an international cast of students there. And I moved away from my parents, sort of unprepared to do so, uh, to a boarding school. And you could kind of the, the phrase in radio is DX, get distant signals, DX distant signals like on The Voice of America, on the BBC. Sure, yeah, and occasionally yeah. there was some uh, top 40 uh, programs I could listen into. Kind of floating through the stratosphere. Yeah, too. yeah, with a lot of static and a lot yeah. of uh, interference. However, uh, my roommate had like three albums on cassette that we played for an entire school year. And one of them was Elton John's Yellow Brick Road album. Uh-huh. And another one was Paul McCartney, not with the Beatles, but Paul McCartney, Band on the Run. That's the same year. And I think he also had a bootleg tape of a station in Florida. Isn't there a town called Fort Walton? Yeah, Fort Walton Beach. Fort Walton Beach. The radio station in Fort Walton Beach, for whatever reason, the roommate had this hour of their top 40 (laughs) programming. I can almost recite the songs from that list. Uh, The Night Chicago Died is on that tape. But we listened to it. So I almost brought um, one of the Yellow Brick Road songs or one of the Band on the Run songs. But these other songs probably resonate even more with me. 
All right, so uh, let's move on to song number two. What do you have? Song number two. Um, this actually became a marketplace story eventually. But uh, when I was Metro Dave on the home of quality rock and roll, KFOG 104.5 in San Francisco on the weekends in the late 80s, they had an enormous playlist. These days, corporate rock and roll stations have these tiny little playlists. You're going to hear um, – you're going to hear a very – careful list of album rock. You're never going to hear something that you don't already know. Yeah, you're never going to. You're going to hear <laughs> yeah. Sympathy for the Devil of Rolling Stones at the top of every hour and that station would do that too. But the next category on their very loose format was a category – Mike had 30,000 songs to choose from. Wow. And one of the songs – and after we play the song, I'll tell you why it became a marketplace story – was from an artist I had never heard of. His name was Long John Baldry. He is a Canadian Brit who had been on the kind of British blues scene for a thousand years. Starts out almost spoken word, a little vibe in the background, but then trust me, we'll have to we'll get there. It resolves into a real song. But he tells a story of being a busker. That's what the Brits call musicians. Yeah, standing are, out on the street corner. Yeah, for, for spare change. Yeah. They're often in the subway stations and stuff. Right. We have buskers here. And uh, he gets busted for that and gets the world's most uncool um, prosecutor who's trying to bust him for, for, for music. It's called Don't Try to Lay No Boogie Woogie on the King of Rock and Roll, Long John Baldry. All right. This is uh, David Brancaccio's second song on Three Song Stories. It's Biography Through Music. Don't try to lay no bougie woogie on the king of rock and roll by Long John Baldry. It's uh, my guest today, David Brancaccio, second song choice here on Three Song Stories. So what's the story behind that one? And by the way, that song does go a long way. I mean, that thing has an arc. Yeah, it really does, end, right? It's like you're in a whole different place from where you started. Well, so, so imagine working on a radio station that had that as part of the giant playlist. That, and that's how I came to know that song. You know, it, it's you know, part Monty Python, part rock and roll. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was proceeding in a westerly <laughs> direction, my lord. Um, it's also part Alice's Restaurant. That's yeah, the yeah. same kind of song structure. The, um, the reason it became ultimately a uh, marketplace story, I was the London bureau chief for Marketplace. And I was working on a feature in which there was a movement called the Plain English Movement. And it was um, this nonprofit that crusaded for not using jargon and for not using uh, complicated verbal constructions and language when plain speaking would do. And I'm a great believer in that. Mm -hmm. Marketplace is a great believer in that. Why speak like one of these high – priests or priestesses of business reporting. It's a core of what makes Marketplace accessible, I think. Yeah, we try, right? And uh, you know, public radio at its best should also do that. Uh, but you know, say what you mean. Uh, how would uh, a reasonably reflective person that you bump up against uh, in the hallway, 
what's going on with that news story, you would speak plain English. Mm -hmm. uh, even the words corporate earnings uh, this afternoon, corporate earnings, no human being says, what are the corporate earnings for uh, Amalgamated Sprinkle Works? They're like, how'd they do? Yeah, yeah. What were their results? And you don't even say quarter. You say in the, 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 in the fall, how did they do? Yeah, and yeah. so that's plain English. So I was doing a story for Marketplace about the proliferation of turgid speaking, jargon speak in business uh, dealings and this uh, campaign based in England to, uh, to try to put it back where it belongs. And um, we used extracts of that song because the policeman is not speaking plain English when he tells the story. And that's the funny – that's why that yeah. song is so funny at the beginning. He's using that legalese that makes people uh, f uh, sound they think to other people more authoritative. But right. then when he mispronounces boogie woogie, <laughs> you, you know, he falls into the uh, knucklehead category. So we actually used a piece of that on the air. And I couldn't remember Long John Waldry's name. Oh, my goodness. I had to contact Rosalie, who's a, who's a disc jockey at KFOG, and say, what was that song? Because it was, you know, it was the king of rock and roll. And she, she told me where it was and we found it and we used it in, in, in the piece. Um, so it's uh, – I understand that some people on this show also talk about um, songs they can't stand. Is that uh, right? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to bring up a song yeah, that, that is the play opposite it. of what we're coming from. Well, no, I was just thinking about that when I heard that. And um, what's interesting is transcriptions of the lyrics of songs often – isn't what makes a song powerful for you. It's just the whole experience of the song. Sure. It can be the rhythm. It can just be the, the mood. And because of associations in my life of bad things, there are two songs I, I, I instantly think of that I cannot listen to. I have to turn it off. If I, I, I um, One of them just is 10 cc's I'm Not In Love for probably 1975. It was the hit when my grandpa died in uh -huh. 1975. And I'm just – as soon as I hear that so they're song – So they're just bonded. That song they're just is bonded. Just... And it's nice to reflect on Grandpa Tony from the old country. But it's like – it just – that song bugs me when that comes on. Another one – and no fault of the song or the artist, Madonna's Holiday. Um, worst job I've had in this business. It's not on my resume, but it's, I did have it. No one would hire me after college despite this fabulous resume that I felt I had in radio. Um, so I had to take what I could get and I became an airborne traffic reporter over Washington, D.C. Really? Like yes. in a helicopter? We didn't do helicopters because they were at the time $350 an hour to operate. We did light planes, oh, okay. a Cessna 172. Did 75. you have to do that? Yeah, yeah. We, we never actually <laughs> flew. We just made it up. No, no, no. I was in the plane uh, over Washington, D.C. in turbulence. They're not uh, air conditioned. These small, the engines aren't – You know, you need the engine for the thrust of the – Right. But you don't need it for air conditioning. So – August day over D.C. It's like an August day over parts of Florida and uh, no air conditioning. So and also turbulence in April. So anyway, one time we were flying over uh, northern Virginia, morning rush hour for WASH. I was airborne traffic reporter. And the engine bent a push rod and dumped its oil and caught fire. And I did not fly this plane. Right. Um, uh, I'm good at taking off light planes and lousy at landing. So I'm not – the pilot that you want, um, not a pilot. But uh, Tom Bruce was the pilot and he said, look, uh, we got trouble. I go, I can tell we have trouble. <laughs> this flame coming out of this engine. He said, do you want to die in that landfill because I could probably make it there or do you want to die at that restricted military field, airfield? I go, well, let's try for the airfield. It has a – he goes, they're going to be 
mad. Right. We're not supposed to land there. I go, I'll handle the the military is mad. You land this plane. And it was Madonna's holiday that was playing on WSH at the time that we were going through this little moment. Um, so I don't like listening to it. We do the end of the story. What is, a strange song to be having as you're doing an emergency I know, landing. right? And it's on my headphones. I didn't think at the time. You know, when you're in an emergency, I didn't think to remove my headphones. Also, I was talking to the pilot. Uh, on these noise-canceling headphones. So Tom did an expert job guiding the plane down, did a real landing, even though we didn't have any thrust yet uh, anymore from the engine, which was on fire. They put out the fire and the commanding officer brought us in and indeed he was not happy. And I was 22 years old and so I was scared. And and, uh, there were secret military – I guess Apache – helicopters hmm. that were there and, and, and civilians were not supposed to see those. So he's kind of annoyed. And um, and I realized, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not one of his – I'm not in the military. Right. Uh, what's he really going to do? I'm a well-known traffic reporter. For, <laughs> I'll be missed shortly right. if he puts me in the brig. So I said um, – Sir, I need to use your phone. I reach over and picked up the phone without him saying, yes, you can. I go, how do I get out of here? Dial nine? He's looking shocked that no 22-year-old has spoken to him like that for a very long time. I dial into the station. I did a traffic report in front of him and he decided it was not a Russian spy and he let us loose. Um, <laughs> his beef was that we declared an emergency but in fact what we executed was a, a forced landing um. and that's different. And I'm like – Hey, <laughs> yeah. You, let's use plain language to describe this. <laughs> so you know, I, I just I can't listen to that song. I, I'm sure we all have them. Uh, the things that just sort of stick into yourself, subconscious, yeah. in ways that are have associations. Yeah, well, that's what music does. That's that's why we're doing this show. Really, um, did you ever make mixtapes? Was that ever like a thing? I know that great movie, uh, High Fidelity, with John Cusack, based on. Um, uh, I'm going to forget the author of the book. He's, uh, I, of course, you do. It's 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 a way of uh, if you're interested and, and you're on the dating scene of um, kind of reaching out in a sense. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you would make cassettes back then. Now, what do you do? Share a big MP3 or no? It's just playlist, right? Playlist, I guess. Now, yeah. Oh, I'm sounding so ancient on that one particular thing. Hey, hey, I I was I was hitting pause and play and record myself as well on those tapes. So. Yeah, I mean uh, part of it was as a DJ, I could do my own mixtape. If you could get the person to listen to your show. That's true. Not yeah, you were like easy. right there at the source. Yeah, they, they were not listening to WTVL in Waterville, Maine, unfortunately. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. I, do you it, remember for whom maybe you made the first one? Like, there was first there was some tape. The first person who, who who moved you to such a degree it's that you wanted likely, her to know it's, your coolness. Uh, it's likely – I can't be absolutely sure but wonderfully, it's a person who's probably um, lives not too far from where we're speaking who uh, part of the year is up in Sarasota. And uh, it's a lovely woman named Chris. Uh, she and I used to go to movies and stuff together uh, when we were 16. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, I think I, it was that f- summer where I got that first professional radio job where – you know, by the way, 15, you don't have your driver's license. Right. So, um, a, riding, your, riding your bike to the station. Riding your bike to the station and trying to be impressive to an, a young woman on your bike and that's you know, maybe now. Maybe 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 the cool factor of riding bike now that would work. Not so much that. No, I had to rely on my charm. But I may have made a mixtape for her. I don't remember what was on it. And heaven knows if she actually would listen to the thing that I if I presented it to her ceremoniously. But it was fun to do that yeah. because it expresses your values. Mm-hmm. You're trying to find common ground on a mixtape. You're hoping that the person. It's a form of communication. Yep. Um, 
radio hosts that I think are um, go awry, who aren't doing it right, are people who do uh, often music radio shows. That's all about them, the host. Mm-hmm. You have to, it has to be a dialogue with the listener. I know it's obvious, but some people lose track of that. Um, there's a radio station in New York um, that seems to be not interested in anybody listening. Uh, it is so out there sometimes. I was like, oh, I got to give them another try. Obviously, I'm not cool enough. I'm going to listen to these people again. They played 11 minutes of The Sound of Surf. <laughs> not surf music, but waves crashing and wind. No, there was wind mixed in there. And this I'm is like, a station that has a – they make money. They I don't know staff. if they make money and more power to them because I love independent stuff and think radio has become much too corporate and ridiculous and horrible. But And they're a, a countervailing force. Yet, please – uh, it's like the journalism I try to do, which is start where the listener is and build on that. You can't do enough for something completely different. Here's something that's completely unconnected with your life. Everything is connected with our listeners. But you have to kind of think through where they will be and then introduce them to the topic. So time for song number three. What is your choice? All right. Now song number three, it's not – going to refer to a particular issue in my life at the moment, but it's very associated with my years in Los Angeles. Uh, uh, I was in my 30s into my early 40s. And this song works for me at a very poetic level. Um, I started out by admitting that I used to listen to Carol King's Tapestry over and over. Oh, my goodness. People now know that. Um, this song is – was an end-of-century version of the emo that I used to experience as a as a as an adolescent. It is uh, P.J. Harvey. You know, she's into blues. This was a collaboration with a voice that many people here are going to recognize. And um, I, when we come out of the song, I'll say who the male voice okay, is. Okay, so we're going to keep that hidden for now. Yeah, but the the song is "The Mess We're In," and this is about um, a dissolving relationship. And it's not referring back to anything specific in my life. I've been married for a thousand years and uh, was married then and, and married to the same person now. It wasn't about that, but it's about fragile relationships, uh, the mess we're in. All right. This is The Mess We're In by P.J. Harvey and a mystery guest that we'll hear about after the song. You're listening to Three Song Stories. Can you hear the helicopters? I'm in New York. No need for words now This mess we're in Uh, this mess we're in by PJ Harvey. So um, I recognized that voice, but maybe not yeah, everyone did. So it, yeah, who, it's, who is it's that? It's pretty recognizable. It's Tom York from Radiohead, with that voice of his, and there was a collaboration they did. Isn't that an intense song? Yeah, it's one yeah. of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, it's uh, it's about. You wonder if a younger person would even understand it. It's about you know a relationship that's 
impossible and is falling apart. I hear it. I have no idea if this is really how the songwriter constructed it, but I hear it as a phone call between Los Angeles and certainly New York, which is referenced. But I don't think it all takes place in New York. I think it's a phone call with a dissolving relationship. And um, you know, the sunrises and sunsets. I see it as over L.A. and uh, you know, driving on the. Um, you know, Santa Monica Freeway or something around sunset. And they have skyscrapers in Los Angeles. And it's just a really good song. And I love P.J. Harvey anyway. Was that an easy choice for you to make this list? It's just really fun. We could come up with three others. You know, right. Have me back in a year. I got, you know, plenty. <laughs> um, it's, it's, uh, it's hard. If you had said specifically, I want your top three songs of all time, impossible. But since you said, what are three songs that resonate with you, mm-hmm. uh, it was really fun um, to start drawing that up. You know, Marketplace, even my little show in the morning, has a little bit of music in the middle of it. Uh-huh. We use that, technical aside, we use that if the show's running longer or shorter. We That's can your magically, wiggle room. It's a wiggle room. There you go. Um, and uh, sometimes the music that we play. Uh, just sets my teeth on edge. I don't choose it. Oh, you don't have uh, that. You don't have. I don't have that. I don't, I don't have authority on that. But sometimes when it's really right, and I don't mean literally right. I can't stand it when lyrics are used in news uh, production to comment directly on the content, like a business story and in Clatter's Pink Floyd's Money. Yeah. It's just it's super lame, and I break out in hives. But uh, if you match the mood in some way. That can work. And when we're in a groove in the morning and the director in Los Angeles chooses something that's just right, it really launches me into the end of the show. Now, years ago, I was doing our afternoon show, which I did for 10 years, and there's more music in that. In fact, sometimes people commented more on the music than they did on the journalism, which delights me and frustrates me. But we publish what it is we choose because people are interested. And um, it was a really clear rule. The host doesn't get to choose the music. So it was my 40th birthday. And I was hosting the afternoon show and I said meekly to the then showrunner, Deborah, Deborah Clark, who's now the boss of all marketplace now. She's risen to the ranks. I go, Deborah, it's my birthday. I want to pick a couple of the songs. No. (laughs) (laughs) Answer, no. Um, I may have in that tradition of sneaking uh, songs onto the air that were against format – Still prevailed in some oh, yeah. sort of subversive way. You know, a six pack of beer goes a long way with an engineer, yeah, exactly. as you may know. Uh, yeah. So it's possible that uh, that uh, some of my wish list got on the air. But music is extremely important. Do you have a favorite uh, live experience? Do you have like a, oh. a pinnacle concert experience that you uh, can recount? I've got a lot. Um, two great ones. And just you know, you're lucky enough to get the tickets. You're lucky enough to be there when the band is 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 all there. Um, Talking Heads, stop making sense. Wow. Tour now. You can relive some of the magic if you get the movie. Right, uh, right. Jonathan, I've seen the movie yeah. numerous times. Yeah, Jonathan so. Demi. That's when he's wearing the big suit. Yeah, I yeah. saw it at uh, George Washington University in D.C. Did they do it like the movie where it? Yeah, it you know constructed itself over. It did. It did. You didn't get all of it right. because a lot of that was built in the movie, and the movie was very good at tight shots of the band where there was kind of there's interpersonal communication between yeah, Tina yeah. Weymouth, the bassist. I got to watch others. this again now that you're talking so about good. It. Um, Bernie Worrell, I think, recently passed away. But um, um, I was there for not the filming of it, but for that concert series, and you know, my life changed at once. Where I, was that? 
That was in Washington, D.C. Gotcha. at uh, George Washington University, uh, GW. And um, it was just like where you're having an experience and you wish all the important people in your life were there hmm. sharing it with you. Yeah. So that was one. Another one was I saw Radiohead at Madison Square Garden with my daughter Madeline. I have three kids. Uh, happened to be that Maddie was there. Transcendent. Another one was not that long ago. My spouse was out of town, so it was going to be a bachelor's weekend. And I'm thinking, what do I do? So I call my dad up in Maine, Pat Brancaccio, uh, professor, and I go, hey, dad, if I take the train up after I get off the air on Friday, you could take the bus down from Maine. We could meet in Boston, uh, halfway point in a way. I'll get some hotel and we'll just do some stuff with the guys here. So he said, yeah, sure. So dad comes down. He's in his early 80s. What's happening in Boston? Uh, Mavis Staples is playing. And I'm like, I want to get tickets to that. So Mavis Staples, legend. If you see that great concert movie, um, The Last Waltz, that Martin Scorsese directed about the band, mm -hmm. there's a moment of genius in which you see Mavis Staples singing. Um, she's in one of the songs. And um, so she is older and still kicks it. And there's a great yeah. warm-up band who is – who's the warm-up band? She was the daughter of Lee Von Helm of the band. And um, my dad is very worldly, incredibly well-read. Uh, he's a Moby Dick scholar. Huh. He knows about Hawthorne and he has traveled widely and is um, a film buff, Italian neorealist film. But he says to me, in this concert, he goes, well, it was the first rock and roll concert I've attended. <laughs> in your life? <laughs> yes. I go, you have never – I go, you college professor, he, you've never sat in the audience when a guitar and a drummer and a lead vocalist and a bassist. No. And I'm like, well, you came to the right place for you – know, I mean, she's soul. She was rock and roll. She was a whole bunch of things that she was playing. And my father was super interested in classic, right? He sent me a, he sent me a book subsequently about the history of the staple singers, which was really interesting. So those are just three. Um, and you know, again, if it was just an event, not music as part of the event, it would be very different and I probably wouldn't be able to remember them as quickly. Right. Uh, uh, last question. You mentioned that uh, you're into Kendrick Lamar these days. Are there any other new bands that you've recently discovered that you would want to give like a shout out to? I mean, has anything come across your path recently that isn't common or – or just yeah. what's what's newest in what, your brain? What, what am I what am I loving? Um, in my kind of weird synthesizer um, ambient strangeness, there's a band called Alt J that uh, yeah, I would like people to, to to look up. World Cafe plays them. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah I, I like Alt J a lot. It's hard to pick though because I, I sort of swoop in and out on stuff. For jazz, there's a band that's been touring for 27 years uh, called New York Voices. And I love New York Voices because they're fabulous because they haven't gotten divorced from each other in 27 years of touring. But also I grew up with with uh, one of the key figures there, Darman Meter. Um, he <laughs> – I was there when he was I think fifth grade and he was going to um, take uh, – join the band. And he goes, what, what instrument should I take? I go, I don't know. And he goes, should I do like triangle? And I said, no, no. I goes, what about um, clarinet? And he goes, oh, I'll do clarinet. Became this great clarinet and sax player. Had a whole career based on this because he's a genius. But um, 
I, you know, there's a lot that I like. And, and how do I learn about it? It's by streaming audio where a curator, a DJ yeah. decides there's something that person who has more time in their lives to investigate this stuff mm-hmm. will push um, music that I haven't heard of before. And that's a really important journalism lesson as well. In a world where we choose what stories we think we need to know, you close off really important stuff that you really need to know. And I hope that public radio plays a role in saying, look, I know you woke up worried about the weather. You should worry about the weather, but you also need to know what happened in Afghanistan today because we can see the size of the headline here. We can see the story that's underneath it. So people with more time on their hands uh, deciding what you should listen to, giving you a new experience. Here's the analogy. You go, You want to stream a movie online and then you can't choose because there's a quadrillion things available on right. Netflix or Amazon. However, the local film theater – does a film festival, a person who can curate for you says, here are 10 films that are really important and good. That's a great valuable service and that's how I learn music even now. A, a, a host who spent time thinking about what it is I should be turned on to uh, uh, doing a show and I, you know, as I say, I got about 20 streams that I listen to. I was going to say, you, gotta, you have to go to the internet to find that though because most commercial stations aren't being curated in that way. They're being curated with a matrix of data that who listens to what when. I know, exactly. And, uh, and so, but there are, uh, you know, there's, there's folk stations out of the UK, there's uh, public radio stations, <laughs> famous one in Los Angeles. My company, American Public Media, that produces Marketplace, does a, a stream called The Current out of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you learn a lot. And I don't, as you heard, I don't have a specific genre that I'm into. Um, I don't hate anything. I even had a, a roots bluegrass phase that I have never fully. Except that holiday song from Madonna, right? Oh, for heaven's sake. So um, <laughs> just don't even mention that song. Sorry, I love sorry. Madonna. Sorry. It's a good song. Don't so, like the association. So uh, any final thoughts? No, it's, I, just want, I just hope that. People in this in the lives that we live now being inundated by digital information that you do take some time to really listen to music. Don't fast forward. Don't just sample a little. Listen all the way through. And I think um, I think I worry that we lose that a little bit in the modern world. Take some time to really listen. All right. I want to thank my guest, David Brancaccio, as the host of the Marketplace Morning Report. David, thank you so much for doing this. We're honored to have you. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thanks for doing this show. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers. The show is produced, directed, and co-created by Richard Chin Kui. Tara Callaghan and Anna Bejarano are our online content producers. Our executive producer is Chris Duffus. Three Song Stories theme music was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For my parting tune this week, I'm going to stay in the world of public television. I'm not going to say much about this song because it's one that will always bring me right to the edge of being emotionally overwhelmed. It's from the PBS Kids show Big World, which featured a hippie sloth who played a ukulele and lived in a giant tree with lots of other silly creatures. This is the song they ended every episode with, and right at the end, the sloth, whose name was Snook, would come up and put his paw on the screen, and my daughter Guinevere, who was just a toddler at the time, would put her hand up to his on the screen. There is no song that can bring me back to that precious time in her life than this one. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Thank you.
What is next time on Three Song Stories? Did anybody ever try to woo you with a mixtape? Absolutely. Did it ever work? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah.